Thank you for waking up. You're welcome. After you took a nap on the microphone. I did. I was tired. Anyway, so I have another fun little thing. By mm-hmm. the way, welcome back to the Millennial Catholic. I'm your host, Thank you. Andrew Miller, along with Father Scott. Hello. Uh, we like to start things a little differently sometimes. So I have another uh, hypothetical for you. You may ask. Jackie has passed away. Oh, that's it sad. Very sad. I see her over there. Is she a ghost? Oh, we're not talking about ghosts. Oh. Uh, uh, do you want to talk about ghosts? I don't know. You're the one who said that poor Jackie passed away. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie passed away. Oh. It's, it's been about a year, year and a half. I've yeah. had time to grieve. Yes. And I come to you and say, Father Scott, I think, I'm thinking about entering the seminary. Oh. What would you say? Uh, okay. Sure. Just okay? Sure. Here's an application. That's it? No. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'd probably uh, offer you either myself or someone else to give you spiritual direction. And then I would uh, work on your prayer life with Jesus to figure out if he wants you to go to seminary. Okay. So what would that entail? Especially after being married. Yeah. Um, I know you can't really talk about that aspect of it. But yeah, by the way, if you hear panting and everything else, we have it's brought not podca- me. It's, it is not Father Scott. It is we have brought the podcast dog it's with the us. Cute little dog. What would that What would that process be for? Like me, let's say like that word to be a thing, right? Let me tell you an ancient tale. So back in the year of two thousand and seven, no, two thousand and six, as it were, I met a. Uh, I had my similar thing. I went to the priest and I said. I would like to discern a call to the priesthood. And he said unto me, go to the University of Maryland and meet Father Bill Byrne and talk to him for spiritual direction. And so I did, and I went to Father Bill Byrne, and he asked me, give me a little bit of your background. I did. Uh, turns out we actually grew up in the same parish, which was kind of wild, and had similar careers after college, which was, um, Oh, what did we do? We did that. Uh, we, we both taught after college, so we taught high school. Uh, I mean, we want to talk grade school. Anyway, Father Byrne was great, and he said, well, what do you do? What's your spiritual life like? And I said, well, I pray the rosary every day, and I go to Mass on Sundays. And he goes, that is a good thing to do as a Catholic, but it won't tell us squat about what God's will is for your life. So we need to learn how to pray in such a way as to listen to where God is calling you. And then he taught me this method of prayer called Lexio Divina, mm-hmm. and that, that kind of taught me how to listen to the Word of God, both in the Scriptures and in the depths of my heart, and then when I th- realized God was calling me to the seminary, and that was pleasing. Do you think I would make a good priest? Ooh, that's a very personal question. Yes, it is. So let's keep it personal on the podcast. I don't think it, well, this sounds a little sacrilegious, but do. Uh, I, I don't know how, how much it really takes to be a good priest. I mean, what does it mean to be a good priest? Oh, yeah, yes, I, I would say yes. And this is why I would say yes, because you are faithful. That's the most important thing as a priest, is all you got to do is be faithful. You don't have to be a super genius. You don't have to be, you don't have to have good hair. Uh, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be ripped like Thor. You just have to be faithful. And then God takes care of the rest. So you can be horribly disfigured. doesn't matter, right? As long as you are faithful. You say, okay. So you say, as long as you're faithful, you should be, quote unquote, a good priest. You'll be a good priest. Yep. When you were growing up, right, 
there were certain priests that probably stood out to you? Mm-hmm. Actually, no. 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 Not while you were growing up. No. Not even in high school or they college. Were, they were bland unto me. I did not. You were bland unto me, so it's fine. It's all good. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I just, I just, I just, they were off in the distance. I just didn't see them. I just didn't care about them. I didn't care about the church. So Okay, so now that you become a priest, you obviously look up to some priest, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I do. Yes, I do, Sitka. That's the dog. What makes you look up to those priests? Faithfulness. Uh, uh, Father Byrne, for instance, I'll never forget this. Father Byrne said, we need to find, uh, you need to develop your ability to communicate. He didn't say it like this exactly, but he said, we need to develop your ability to communicate with God, to listen to his voice. And for the first time I had met a priest where I said, I met some others, but more directly here, I met a priest who believed that communication with God was possible. I had met others, but this guy made it seem simple. And... Um, that led me down a whole nother road of prayer, which was, well, maybe I can pray in such a way where I can listen to what Jesus wants me to do with my life. That was revolutionary. So, um, you know, I think a lot of the priests uh, I knew growing up, I only knew a few. I mean, we had, our pastor had been in our parish growing up for years, uh, but there were also other good ones. Uh, I can name them. The good ones were Father Fields, but they were all Jesuits I knew at Georgetown who I got to know more personally, and who took my question seriously about the faith. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I had a lot of good Jesuit priests at Georgetown who helped me with, because uh, they had real faith, and they really believed in this, this religion, and uh, that was, um, and they had wrestled with a lot of difficult questions, and I admired that a great deal, and they still had faith. Uh, they didn't just say, oh, you just got to believe it because it's a mystery, you just got to believe it. It was like, well, we really struggled with this ourselves, and we came to this conclusion. So I admired that they had that they had um, they had wrestled with this stuff. It's a great question, though. It's so I admire their faithfulness. I, I also admire their intellectual integrity. That they they have reasons for why they believe what they believe. This was also policing unto me. So why do you believe what you believe? Oh, me? Yeah, you. Well, that's a good question. Because there are some people, for some reason, that think that you're a good priest. If you can't tell my sarcasm, I think he's a good priest. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to him for mm-hmm. hours on end. Yes. I was saying yes to the dog. <laughs> yeah, or yes to me. Yes. It could be <laughs> one or the other. So, why do you believe what you believe? Great question. What do I believe? That's the question. Um, well, you believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is all true. The creed, of course, the creed. Um, I, that's a good question. So why do I believe what I believe? Well, the, the reason probably is because of my personal experience. Um, there, yes, I have assented to the truths of the faith, but I almost assent to the faith like a scientist would to a hypothesis, right? And so I say, okay. Let's take these truths as true. Let's put them to the test. All right, is Jesus, does Jesus really work? I'm going to worship him, see what happens. And, and pray to him, listen to him in prayer, see what happens. And I got feedback. And it was like, yeah, this is true. So um, it, it came from personal mystical experience uh, in a great degree, especially when I was 19. So, and then everything just, just went off in that direction. So... Um, yeah. 
I will tell you a tale. May I tell you a tale? Please, tell us a tale. So when I was 19 years old, I had gotten diagnosed with diabetes. And this is, this is a personal tale of old. Uh, at the time, I, I wasn't going to Mass on Sundays. I had just gotten to college. Um, I didn't really take my Catholic faith seriously. I was mired in foul and wretched sin, um, which will be enumerated. Uh, perhaps at a podcast which will never air. <laughs> so, uh, so I was I sign was, up for Patreon for that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, so I um, so anyway, I was I just really didn't take my religion seriously. Um, but I was in the backyard of my parents' house, and have I told this tale before? I think in passing, not yes. in, in too much detail. So anyway, I was, I was chagrined. I had just started college, and I had to go home to deal with my diabetes. And uh, there was a line from William Wordsworth, which said, there were spots of time where the unity of all hath been revealed. And I was really into, like, nature worship, not like full pagan, but pretty close. And, um, but not like worshiping, like, the pagan gods or goddesses, but just you find God in nature, right? Because it's beautiful and yada, yada, yada. Right. So, um, I, and I had a girlfriend at the time who was, you know, in Ohio and I was in the uh, DC area. And I remember I, I, I prayed for, for her in a way, just thinking maybe love is what, what is real, man. And, uh, uh, during that, that afternoon, um, she also had this experience while she was in Ohio and I was in D.C., and she called me later that day and said, I had the weirdest experience at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I said to myself, huh, I had a very weird experience because I, I felt what Wordsworth felt when he said, there are spots of time when the unity of all hath been revealed because Wordsworth felt a very close closeness to the divine in nature, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, that's weird, man. Like, you felt like what I felt, but you, like, you were separated by like t- space, man, and that's like crazy. And then you said you had this weird experience in the afternoon, and I had this weird experience in the afternoon. Before she called me, I thought I had just OD'd on my insulin, right? Right. But I was like, no, there's like... So all of a sudden, I became fascinated with the possibility that I had a soul, and I became fascinated with what my soul could do, and could my soul communicate with other souls uh, beyond a material plane. And so that became very interesting to me. And so I began to investigate. And then the next semester, or the semester after, I took a course called Christian Mysticism, and I learned about some of the saints. And uh, particularly St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. And I said to, unto myself, these guys, whatever the, and it was another great book, Varieties of Religious Experience by William James, and another book, The Cloud of Unknowing by an anonymous medieval Christian author, all these great spiritual works. And I thought to myself, I think uh, whatever John of the Cross experienced or whatever Teresa of Avila experienced, I experienced in the backyard under, my, under that tree. So I wanted to re-experience that. You might say, like, you guys are interested in hunting ghosts. I was interested in hunting mystical experiences. But my, my, I, I was willing to dabble in Buddhism or Near Eastern stuff or whatever, man, just so I could get that excellent groovy feeling. Didn't do drugs, but, um, but I, wanted, I wanted to recreate what would happen in the backyard. 
I felt Teresa of Avila had experienced that. I felt that St. John of the Cross had experienced that. In fact, my professor said, you really get John of the Cross. I'm like, yeah, because it happened to me in the backyard. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so I had that experience, and it just led me on a path of exploration to try to discover more about the human soul. And if I have a soul, then I would like to know what it's capable of. And what I have discovered is the soul is capable of communicating with God and also with other souls um, beyond the material plane. Uh, now, the, 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 the energy which makes this possible, this communication possible, is it's, it's primarily an activity of love. It's not an activity of, of gnosis or thought, even though it does have a noetic quality. There are four principles of a mystical experience. I still remember this from this very class. Ineffability. It's almost impossible to explain to another person. It has a noetic character. It passes on some sort of knowledge, a super knowledge that you're not able to express. It is transient. It doesn't last forever. And it happens to a person. The person can't self-generate it. It's, it's, it comes from a passivity. So the more the person becomes passive, the more his soul uh, or her soul can be elevated to ecstatic union. I remember my, my spectacled professor who was quite, uh, quite like, uh, yes, 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 very, very doodly do, very British, very, very what have you, you know. And he was like, you know, if we look at the statues of St. Teresa of Avila being pierced by the, by the spear of the angel during her transverberations, uh, what does that expression look unto like? And the kids are like, I don't know, like she's surprised or something. And he goes, no, it looks like orgasm. Children, it looks like orgasm. It's the thrill of the mystical experience. The closest human experience we have to the mystical life is the orgasm. And so that was very illuminating. I thought, well, this prayer sounds like fun. This is a little quite exciting. So um, that's why celibacy can be enjoyable. So, yes. Because it's fleeting. No, no, no. Because because the one's joy doesn't come from the married life. It comes from union, ecstatic union with God. I'm just trying to give a spicy meatball for people to get excited about prayer. We can hear Sitka dancing and frolicking, which is pleasing to him. Pleasing to him. Yes. I think As he falls at the door. That's okay. He's just having fun. You may continue your interrogation. So. I guess you and I see good priests differently. Ooh. Go on. Because I think of someone, and we, and we might actually not think that differently, it's just the mm. way we... Perhaps we're approaching it from different angles. Yes. Is that, you know, a good priest is somebody whose homily you can take, like, no matter uh, what, no matter yes. what part, every part reaches somebody. Yes. Right? I might get bored during the first part, but your second part of the homily really reels me in and it speaks to me. Yes. Or it might even just be the way they say mass. Mm. Candlelit in the dark church. True. Make it more romantic. Yes, indeed. And, And I guess somebody who isn't afraid. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, where do you see the fear among the priesthood? I see the fear in two ways. Mm-hmm. In the older generation. Mm, go on. And the ones... Well, how are the older generation afraid? 
They're afraid to answer the tough questions. Ah. I had, a afraid- I, had a, I had a phone conversation with a lady about this. She said, she was asking me these questions and, and she said, no priest has been able to answer for me for this. Uh, why is it that if God loves everybody, some people go to hell? And I go, well, that's actually a pretty easy one. It's because, of course, God loves everybody, but the great mystery is some people choose to reject that love and actually choose to go to hell. Um, and uh, just like some kids choose to disobey their parents, even though they know what their parents' will is best for them. Um, it's a strange thing. It's a mystery why people choose that, but they do. Um, it's a very easy answer. Um, I don't know why. But it's just you know. I think it's because uh, what happened in the older generation is all they knew is fear of hell growing up. And so you'll see it with the older generation now. They're the ones who are coming to church right now because they're all afraid of going to hell. Right. And um, they didn't know about the love part. And so they they just just kind of a neurosis for those folks. And it's, it's sad. It's sad. So, um, uh, yeah. But so, so the older priests are like, I don't want to get— they're projecting onto people. They're saying, I don't want to make people afraid of God like I'm afraid of God, you know, uh, of being judged. I think they're afraid of offending people, too. That's also true. That comes as, that also comes as well. Because yes. if I tell you that some of you are going to hell, then you're not going to put money into the offertory and you're well, not going yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, and in truth, you don't even have to say that. You right. can say, um, you just have to say what the truth is. And... Um, uh, the truth is, I don't know who's going to hell. You know, um, I don't. I, I don't know who's going to heaven. Um, Jesus says that few will go to heaven, and many will go to hell, and that's just the scripture. You know, so um, the key is to be- befriend Jesus and let him take care of the rest. So, and the the second people that I see is whatever we're talking about, mm-hmm. words, um, are the ones that are self-conscious. Okay. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Or they're, af- they're, either, they're either the know-it-all mm. that is very standoffish mm, yes. and being like, I am the smartest one in the room. And well, you, I like that. Yes. You're not one of those. But I'd like to be. Yeah, wouldn't, that be. be wouldn't that be delightful? I could use big words like hypostatic union and monothelitism. <laughs> I'm going to kick you out of your own church. I would enjoy that. <laughs> not being kicked out of my own church, but um, being the snob. But they're not... <laughs> Like they're not personable. They don't. The words don't carry authority, because the yeah. same thing happened with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees could quote all the things. Well, doesn't it say in Leviticus twenty-four that one shall not be tattooed or something of those nature? So, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And I, and I knew a lot of those guys in the seminary too, where it would be like, well, I have read all the necessary documents on the such and such and blah 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 and do do do, and you're just kind of like, okay. I don't like to disturb my peace, though, because I'm just like, that's adorable. They're trying to be all smart. I don't like to disturb my peace either, but I almost get more frustrated with them than I do the older generation. Interesting. Because, I guess because I'm kind of more or less their age, I feel like I can... Oh, so these are millennial priests of which you speak. 
Yeah, in that realm. I see. Hmm. You know, Gen Xers and Millennials in that in that in that area. Well, why do you think they feel like they got to be super smart? Because, because they're afraid. Well, I was going to say they're afraid of well, because society. They're afraid that it's it's the, it, it's a dangerous thing building your building your priesthood on your intellect alone. It's like building your house on sand. Your priesthood is 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 rooted in your friendship with Christ and your desire to imitate Him, not on how smart you are. If you're super smart, that's great. Woohoo! And I feel like there is a place for priests like that in the church. Sure. Do not, you know, in Rome, the, do- the doctrinal of whatever, you know. They're good these, professors, exactly some right. Some of these offices that, mm-hmm. you know, why do we have priests there? Because somebody needs mm-hmm. to read the book and figure out the law mm-hmm. and do all these things. Mm-hmm. But as a pastor, you don't have to be that smart. Right. Um, but... When you go around the diocese and you go to different churches and you see these people mm-hmm. that not necessarily are pastors but are the ones preaching to the people, mm-hmm. it's a little Copernicus, a little right? Because I would. Do you think they're suffering from pride? Not in the same way that Judas suffered from pride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I shouldn't say it that way. Uh, I'm going to cut that out because that was terrible. Um, no, no, it's fine. Judas also was a priest. Yes. Actually, he wasn't. No. Because I don't think he was instituted at the Last Supper. He was chosen, right? But uh, but he left before the institution of Go the Holy do what the you Mass. Must do. Yes. Um, interesting. He never celebrated Mass. He didn't celebrate Mass with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I... Would I say it's they suffer from pride? That is a good question. Mm. And that is a question I don't know. I think it depends on the person mm-hmm. individually. I would say most Catholics, clergy and laity, suffer from pride because it's so deeply rooted uh, that it's hard to um, it's hard to see in ourselves. It's very difficult. It's one of the it's the deadliest of all the sins uh, because it is the most well hidden. Um, and I, it it comes in such seductive ways. I I I get I get what you're saying. And again, the person I'm in particular thinking of right now. Yes. I'm not going to use names. Yes. But I think you know who I'm talking about. I might. Okay. Um, I don't think it's a prideful thing because because hmm. we've had conversations before mass where he's like, I just don't want to forget. Hmm. And it doesn't sound prideful, right? Because, like, it, if it were me, again, this—if it were me, I don't need the book because I know it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's prideful. I—I I don't know what I would claim it as, though. Well, I want the book. I like the book. Right. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's. But I'm saying. A prideful thing, like in my mind, a prideful thing wouldn't be admitting your fault that you need the book to help you with the prayers of the faithful, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. The prideful thing would be like, I don't need the book. I know the prayers of the faithful and then forget it while you're standing up on the Sure. Right. So that's why I can't say that most of these priests or and it comes on an individual basis of pride, right? Mm. And it might just be because certain things they do might be 
prideful, you know, under the pride umbrella. But I really, like, there is something, and I can't put my finger on what that something is, that if I, like, if I were to able to train out of them, again, there's my pride speaking, that they would just be a little bit better. Hmm. If, if I could, if I could put my finger on it, I feel like I could help them. But if I can't put my finger on it, how am I going to help them? Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I think, I think, uh, I think it's fear. I, I really think it's, I, you're in front of hundreds of people all the time. Uh, and you're, you're putting your heart on the line with every homily. Right. So you're very much exposed. Uh, everybody's watching you. Everybody wants you to make a decision. Everybody wants you to be perfect in every single solitary way. And as a priest, you're like, I, I want people to like me. I want them to like me. I want them to really like me. Yeah. You know, like Sally Fields. Yeah, but the fear and pride, you can say fear and pride go hand in hand. A little. The fear, the, 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 the pride, the pride I think is at the root of the fear. So you're like, I want people to think highly of me. Right. Right. So that leads me to be afraid that they won't. Right. Whereas if I didn't have the pride and said, I don't care if people like me or not. Uh, because I know God loves me and that's all that matters, then all of a sudden you don't care as much about other people's opinions of you. And you actually have a greater freedom. And I think you'll see that with a lot of priests. You'll be like, they don't seem free to me. You know, they're like, there seems, there seems to be a burden that they're carrying of, of worry, of anxiety. That um, makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's something priests, we priests all suffer with. We're very much afraid of what people will think of us, whether they'll like our homily or not, whether they think we're a good priest or a bad priest. And the key as a priest is to just to be like, I don't give a rip about what you people think. And then uh, be cantankerous and antisocial. And uh, that's, that's, that's what it takes to be good. So yeah, as long as you don't let the anti-socialness come way out. Oh, I love the anti-socialness. So um, I'm not the one harboring a fugitive at my house right now. So uh, it's okay. <laughs> Neither are you. It's fine. Very good. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I don't know what's. Uh, yeah. So that that's all good. It's all well and good. Um, that's all I got uh, in terms of that. In terms of every, every we all, all of us priests, we deal with that, and um, it's uh, you know, and I, I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. The older you get as a priest, the 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 more you get comfortable with stuff and comfortable in your own skin, you know. But it's uh, very difficult when you're all by yourself. Um, Something that can ameliorate that as a priest is friendships with other priests. Uh, the problem is they send us out one by one, and that gets us into trouble. Um, so, yeah, you got to send them out two by two. Yeah, you got to have a battle, buddy. Mm-hmm. You do. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Jackie and Ken Miller. If you would like to join our family here at the Millennial Catholic Podcast, you can do so by joining us at patreon.com slash Pod. If you would like to help us grow a little bit, you can subscribe to us on Google and Apple Podcasts. While you're at Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and write a review. It helps us spread the word a little bit. And until next time, God bless.